Chapter Seven. I morphed to human. I morphed very quickly. In human morph, I had only two eyes. This made it easier to ignore the tile still flashing by at shocking speed. As soon as I had strong human arms, I shoved my lower body over the edge of the truck. But something was wrong. Too heavy. I could not hold on. Numerous hands grabbed at me, slipped, tugged, grabbed again. Ox, you're still not morphed. My lower half was still mostly endolite. Too large, too heavy. I felt my hands weakening. My fingers were being pried open by the weight. I would fall onto the road. Humans would drive their cars over me, possibly their trucks filled with stuff as well. I was no longer concerned with the tile overhead. I was much more interested in the pavement below. Grab his tail! I have a leg. He's morphing his leg. Axe, I get him! Get him! He's slipping! He keeps morphing. Please make every effort not to drop me! I cried. Okay, I have a human leg here, Rachel said. Moments later, I was hauled inside the truck. Suddenly, I felt no wind. The truck emerged from the tunnel. I began to laugh. Are you okay, Axeman? Tobias asked. I am very well, very, very well, well-la. There was nothing funny about eluding death, but there was certainly joy and relief. Please make every effort not to drop me. Marco repeated my plea, and now everyone laughed. Rachel drew the door down. There was not much light, but there was enough, and the relative quiet was very enjoyable. I looked around at the inside of the truck. On either side of the truck, eight foot wide, four foot tall cages held shaggy, brownish black creatures with hairless, surprisingly human faces. Two were hunched forward, clutching the bars and screeching. The others had flattened themselves against the far walls, grimacing and pounding the floor. No bananas. Marco spread his hands wide in apology. One of the chimpanzees spit at him. We need to acquire them right away. Grab his foot if you can, Prince Jake suggested. You grab his foot, Marco said. I've been a gorilla. I know what our grandparents here can do when they get cranky. Here, Cassie had opened a sturdy plastic bin on the floor. This'll help. I began to demorph to endolite form as Cassie cautiously held out a handful. Of grayish brown pellets to one of the chimpanzees, the chimpanzee paused and seemed to sneer at her. The truck hit a bump. Cassie lurched forward, and the chimpanzee drew back. It's okay, she murmured. These are for you. The chimpanzee regarded her solemnly. It seemed to be deciding whether or not the food was a trick. One giant finger extended through the bars of its cage. Pointing at Cassie's palm, the creature's skin looked like tan leather. I heard Rachel inhale abruptly. Marco shimmied backward an inch. Beside him, Tobias was demorphing to hawk form, watching the chimp intently. It's okay, Cassie repeated. She's not going to hurt me. Here, girl. She reached forward slowly, 
Rachel, get ready, in case we need firepower, Prince Jake warned. Not necessary, Cussie said. This girl's just a sweetie. She'll be fine, won't you, girl? No need to be upset. No. The chimp paused again, considering, pursed its lips, and grunted. Without warning, it grabbed Cassie's wrist. But Cassie is not easily bothered by non-human animals. Her other hand shot out and grabbed the chimp's enormous hand. Cassie focused, and the acquiring trance calmed the animal. But Cassie herself was not entirely calm. She looked troubled. I could not tell why. I only noticed that for several seconds, she seemed almost to be carrying on a silent argument with herself. But then, she focused again, and the chimpanzee's eyelids drooped imperceptibly. Its muscles slackened. The food in its hand dropped to the floor as it slumped into the cage's bars. The rest of us made contact while we could. We acquired the chimpanzee. Chimpanzees are a species closely related to humans, but slightly more attractive, and with a superior method of locomotion that allows them to operate as two-footed or four-footed creatures. Okay, tick-tock, we must be almost there. Keys? Rachel asked. Here they are, Murko said, snatching a ring from a wall clip. Let's hope these chimps don't attack as a goodbye gesture. He smiled at one of the soon-to-be-freed chimpanzees. Loved you in all those old Tarzan movies. This stinks, Cussie said. We shouldn't be turning them loose in a strange environment. We shouldn't be... Never mind. Ah, I was wondering how long it would take, Murko said with a derisive grin. Look, a day running around in the streets has got to be better than whatever the Yurks have in mind for them, Tobias said. Prince Jake leaned toward the first cage, ready to open the door. Here we go, he breathed, sliding the key into the padlock. Freedom. At least till someone rounds you up. I felt the truck grind to a stop. No, Prince Jake said. Axe, stay out of sight. There may be cars right behind us. Cassie and Marco slid the door up. And the chimpanzee we had morphed, faced with freedom. Decided to urinate. Chapter 8 Run away already, Marco yelled. A truck was coming up behind us, slowing. Cars were alongside. Two children in one of the cars pointed at us and bounced up and down in their seats. Cassie, make them leave, Marco pleaded. Cassie scooped up a handful of food pellets and flung them toward the truck behind us. The chimpanzees merely stared. The driver of the truck leaned out of his window and said words I have been told are impolite. I've got this, Tobias said. He flapped his wings furiously and launched himself toward the lead chimpanzee. He screeched. The lead chimp bounded away. The others tumbled after him. And now the truck driver behind us began to say words that were worse than impolite. Thought that might do it, Tobias said smugly. With a jerk that almost knocked me off my hooves, we were moving again. Prince Jake yanked the door down, but before he did, I saw one of the chimps 
climbing in the window of the truck, while the driver exited quickly from the opposite door. A second chimp was bouncing maniacally on the roof of the car with the children. The children were screaming with joy. Their mother was also screaming, but perhaps not with joy. Okay, into the cages and morph, Prince Jake said. Axe, how's our time? I estimate we will arrive at the laboratory in three of your minutes. Axe, don't make me tell you again. They're not our minutes, Marco said. They are everyone's minutes. Just plain old minutes and... Oh, gross! Marco wrinkled his nose disgustedly as he climbed into the nearest cage. Someone call the manager. This cage is filthy. You guys go ahead, Cassie said. I'll hang back to lock the doors behind you. It made sense. Cassie was the quickest morpher, and someone would have to lock the cages from the outside. I closed my main eyes, trying to focus despite the lurch of the truck and the realization that we were very short on time. I focused my thoughts on the image of the chimp. Then I felt it begin. My front legs melted into my torso as my back legs swelled into the powerful limbs of the chimp. My hooves split open into five-toed feet. My antelite arms grew bulky with muscles. My hands exploded into leathery flesh and thick fingers. I felt two faint blips as my heart stopped beating, absorbed into the pounding heart of the chimp. Inside me, Bones crunched, blood pumped, as a mass of organs and systems transformed from andalite to primate. My stock eyes had already retracted, disappearing into the top of the chimp's head. Beneath the flattened nose that was similar to my own, the chimp's mouth emerged. It was large and mobile and full of teeth. I turned my head to squint at the others in the murky light while wiry brown fur sprouted over most of my body. I grunted through the chimp's mouth, grabbing the bars of the cage. I tried again to speak. Interesting, I said. Though these bodies are nearly identical to humans, they are incapable of coherent speech. Yeah, that's why you never see chimpanzees running for president. They're smart enough, they just can't give a decent speech. Marco, of course. Humor, almost certainly. Although it occurred to me that I should perhaps check and see whether chimpanzees were accorded full citizenship. I blinked my primate eyes and flexed my thick, powerful fingers. I felt... human. Like I was a four-foot-tall, almost 200-pound, heavily-muscled human. And the mind? It was not exactly human. But it was similar. The same threads of curiosity, understanding, and emotion wove into a complex map. It was nothing like the single-minded hunger instinct of the shark, or the blind rush of sensory input that characterized the bat, for example. Sentient? Self-aware? Able to hold abstract thoughts in its head? Impossible to be sure. In morphing, we acquire instinct. But instinct is less important when intelligence is more developed. This mind had very little in the way of instinct.
and I sensed a great deal in the way of intelligence. The chimpanzee would be able to understand that when the cage was locked, it would not be able to escape. The chimpanzee would understand that scratching its head repeatedly would not open the door, but it would make it feel better. The endolate part of me suddenly felt a little ill. I knew that chimpanzees were very close to humans on Earth's evolutionary scale. I later learned that 97% of chimpanzee DNA is identical to human DNA. Too close to human? Sentient close? We have a rule. We animorphs, I should say. That we do not morph humans or other sentient beings without permission. Had we just violated that belief? Cassie circled the cages quickly to lock the cage doors. Then she ducked into the cage closest to the hook where Marco had found the keys. She reached through the bars, locked her own door, and tossed the keys on the floor beneath the hook. Hopefully the driver will think they fell off when he hit a bump, she said. Cassie morphed with shocking speed. I decided to ask her about the chimpanzee. Cassie is often the person most willing to examine deeper philosophical issues. Cassie, I am concerned by this morph, I said. Is it sentient? Was it improper to acquire it? She said nothing, as though she had not heard me. Then she turned her dark chimpanzee eyes toward me. Could it have given permission, do you think? Is it capable? She asked rhetorically. No, I doubt that it could have understood the question, I answered. But you have not answered my question, Cassie. Is this creature sentient? Cassie said nothing, and Marco laughed a thought-speak laugh. You don't get it, Axe. See, Cassie's on her own private mission here. She wants to save the chimps, so her usual moralizing doesn't apply. It was a harsh thing to say, but Cassie made no answer. A silence fills the room, Moko said sardonically. Animal lovers. Typical. They care more about animals than they do humans. If we were doing this for some other reason, we'd have Cassie giving us a bunch of crap about not using sentient creatures. But she's thinking she can maybe save some of the chimpanzees, so, hey, if it's for the sake of the animals... Let it go, Marco, Prince Jake interrupted. Cassie said nothing in self-defense. I did not know what to think. I could only assume that humans do not believe chimpanzees are sentient. Clearly, if they did believe it, they would not be keeping them imprisoned and using them for experimentation. Yes, that made logical sense, I reassured myself. On the other hand, it is sometimes the case that humans do not make logical sense. Chapter 9 The truck slowed and then came to a stop. When the doors rolled up on its rusty hinges, the still bright afternoon light flooded the truck. I squinted and shrank against the far wall of my cage. Okay, you monkeys, get ready, a large human grunted as he pulled himself into the truck. I looked past him. A second human slid a ramp into place, connecting the truck to a large open doorway. 
the doorway was elevated several feet above the ground. In fact, it matched the height of the back of the truck, proving that sometimes humans are capable of planning ahead. Just inside the building stood three men in white, loose-fitting artificial skin. Clothing. At their feet was a flat metal cart on wheels. Marco and I were in the cages closest to the door. One of us would be the first to go. The men lifted my cage, straining as they pulled it onto the cart. Once on the cart, they pushed me along the ramp. I shifted uneasily behind the bars. Was I acting the part appropriately? What would a chimpanzee do under the circumstances? Everyone be kind of cool, Cassie instructed. These chimps were probably raised in captivity. They'd be somewhat used to all this. The vibrations caused by the cart's wobbly wheels against the ramp rattled through my legs and up my spine. Inside the building, the cart turned a corner, guided by three pairs of human hands, and slid through an open door. <laughs> this new room was filled with other chimpanzees. All around me, chimpanzees chattered wildly, screeching and jumping in cages that were mounted on the walls with thick steel braces. Clearly, they were unnerved by our intrusion. Wheels whined against the floor as the cart stopped outside an empty cage. Two horizontal rows of four cages, each lined the wall, the same one in which the door was located. Once in the cage, I would have difficulty seeing who was entering the room. A human with a gray beard and small blue eyes referred to a chart that he had unzipped from the side of the cage. Hello, pumpkin. There's a good girl. How about a treat? He held out a cookie frosted with white icing. I sniffed carefully. Sugar. A delicious treat? No doubt. But was it also heart-healthy and low-fat? In these messages, everything is heart-healthy and low-fat. What would taste be like to a chimpanzee? I was certain that the chimpanzee brain wanted the cookie. Oh yes, it wanted the cookie. I grabbed it. The man smiled. He unlocked the cage door. I tensed again as each of my powerfully developed muscles stiffened in readiness. I felt the chimp's mouth stretching into the strange grimace smile that to a chimpanzee indicates fear and displays teeth teeth that were midway through munching one of the most delicious cookies I had ever tasted, in any form. The man reached forward with sudden speed. He snapped a collar around my neck and grabbed one of my enormous hands. No doubt the chimpanzee would have been afraid, but it was enjoying the cookie. So was the endolite. Okay, pumpkin, the bearded man said. Here we go. As he swung with the arm that held mine, I found myself responding without thought. My legs pushed against the floor. My free hand clutched at the top of the cage door and pushed too, as I vaulted toward the cage opposite me. Then I was in. Another lock clicked into place as I swallowed the last cookie crumbs and sat down. Good girl, pumpkin, the man said.
He handed me another cookie, while the other men pushed my former cage out of the way. Okay, let's go for the others. I took a look around as the three men left to unload my friends. I appeared to be in some kind of holding room. It was covered by small white squares of hard, somewhat shiny substance. Tiles, I believe they are called. There was a drain in the center of the room. Eight human-foot-square cages lined the two longest walls, and one, about eight feet deep by fifteen feet wide, was set into the shorter wall to my right. To my left, against the other short wall, was a metal table covered with bins containing papers. Next to the table was a frosted glass door. The big cage was empty of animal life, but held a tire swing, dull red rubber toys, and a thick rope with several knots. Someone had scribbled in bright colors on the concrete block walls. The noise was deafening. I crouched against the back wall of my cage and covered my ears, somewhat overwhelmed. At least twenty chimpanzees were screaming and hooting, stamping their feet against the floors of their cages. I looked up as one directly opposite of me took a mouthful of water from a squeeze bottle and sprayed it in my general direction. Did they sense that I was different? That I was not quite all chimpanzee? Without really thinking about it, I jeered back in full chimpanzee screech, and then turned as the door opened again. I'm innocent, I tell you! Marco cried in private thought speak as he was wheeled into the room. I can't do hard time! I'm innocent! You got the wrong guy! You can't keep me locked up! I want to call my lawyer! Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Uh, thank you for listening to another episode. I got a couple of uh, things sent in that I'd like to read, starting off on Tumblr. That's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. Uh, this is sent in from my friend Brittany, who I know personally from college, who says... I would argue that Alfangor had the morphing cube on his ship because he had seen the future and knew he had to create the Animorphs. Uh, this is a response to my speculation last week about why Alfangor had the morphing cube on his ship when, realistically, um, there's there's no reason that the Andalites would ever distribute that beyond their home planet. Um, and then also referencing, I think it's Megamorphs number three, which we're coming up on. Uh, that's the time travel alt-universe one. Uh, one one of these gets into some time travel shenanigans with Alfangor, um, and I do not remember anything about that other than there's some time travel shenanigans with Alfangor, so I have no way of, um, expanding on, uh, this comment and, uh, uh agreeing or disagreeing. I'm, g- I'm gonna have to reread that book whenever I get to it, um, to see this, but... That could be an explanation. That would work. Um, if he had, uh, seen, it, yeah, if it's like a weird, like, time loop prophecy thing, it could work. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, thank you for writing in, Brittany. Love you. Um, we also got a, uh, donation. Uh, you can, you can find that. I have a link just to my PayPal on, um, my website. That's theapocalypse.com. The apocalypse, like apocalypse, but with the D in the middle. 
And um, as always, I want to put a disclaimer up front that no need to do that if um, no pressure at all, right? I, I make enough money that I can afford my server fees um, and my website hosting fees. But, you know, if you do feel so compelled, uh, thank you so much. And they, you know, I'm spending it to keep the show running, theoretically. <laughs> um, but thank you so much, uh, Josiah. Josiah sent in uh, a donation and said, Thank you for the hours of enjoyable content. Well, thank you, Josiah, for your very kind donation. Um, joining the platinum tier of of this podcast. Um, that's that's all I got, but if you'd like to write in, you can do that through... Um, I guess donating to me, but don't, don't do that. Um, you can do it through the, my website, which I've mentioned through the Tumblr that I've mentioned. I've also got a Gmail that's audiomorphscast at gmail.com. Uh, and I have a Twitter that's at audiomorphs. And that's what you should check if I'm ever late uploading. Uh, you could also write a review on Apple podcasts. Um, again, that's kind of a weirder way to reach out to me, but theoretically you could, and I'd read it and I'd say hi. Um, other than that, Uh, Thank you for listening. There were way more chimp noises in these three chapters than I would have thought or liked. Um, Hopefully, I turned down the volume on that enough that uh, it is immersive yet not um, painful for those wearing headphones. Uh, Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. We fight.